Welcome back, everybody. It is another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show here in the month of August with Ian Mendes and Sean McAdoo. And guess what? We're wrapping up the month of August uh, by keeping a, a, the, the same theme going. So listen, if you've listened to the podcast this month, you know we've departed from our usual thing, right? We've we've put pause on Jesse Granger with Granger Things we'll, we'll, and, and This Week in Hockey History. We'll get to all of that stuff again next month in a couple of weeks, right? Right after Labor Day, we're back at it. But now we're having some fun here in the month of August. We've done a list of the 10 most likable players in uh, hockey history. We've done a Hall of Fame debate show. And this week, we wanted to do something to wrap up the month of August with a what if. You know, because Sean, I think a what if show. Because I think hockey history and even the current uh, hockey landscape is littered with what if questions. And and when we threw this out on, on Twitter uh, earlier this month, we had a ton of people writing in with their favorite what-if questions in hockey history. So, Sean, the one that came back to me that I, you knew that this was going to be the question I asked you, I think, with the what-if. I got this on Twitter, too. People saying, what if Wayne Gretzky got called for the high stick on Doug Gilmore back in the day? Is that is that the biggest what-if question that sticks with you as a hockey fan? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It is. I've I've mentioned it once or twice in the years <laughs> since. Uh, I mean, the what if on that is is the Leafs win that game. Wendell Clark scores on the power play, uh, his fourth goal of the game, and they go on to play Montreal in the final. And then who knows what happens from there? And and certainly, if if the Leafs were to win a cup, that kind of changes the a lot of the conversation around the team in the ensuing decades and uh and and Carrie Fraser goes about his life without having to hear about that call every uh every few hours. So uh yeah, it's uh that that's one that we'll definitely we'll definitely wonder about. And it and it's like that one is a true what if because there are some of the things that you can look at and say, well if this had never happened then what if? Well we know the what if is that team would have been bad or that team would have won or you know we don't know. I, I I really wish we had seen that Toronto Montreal series because that I think would have been a classic, and uh, we didn't get it. And uh, I guess the other piece of the what if is I I would have had to find something else to write about forty percent of my material about for the last yeah. few decades. So yeah, okay. So listen, up to you if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we uh, Why don't we take a bunch of the submissions we got from listeners and, and fans on social media, and we'll just kind of go through them throughout the course of this podcast, because I think there's some really cool ones. In fact, this one involves your favorite team, Sean, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this one came in to us from Craig, who says, what if the Harold Ballard, Peter Pocklington franchise swap had actually been completed? So just to give people an idea, I think it was Peter Pocklington who wrote this in his book um, about trading Wayne Gretzky. He said that at some point in the early 1980s, and this is Peter Pocklington, owner of the Edmonton Oilers, was approached by then Toronto Maple Leafs owner Harold Ballard about essentially doing a flip of franchises. Pocklington's Oilers would go to Toronto and he would basically run the team there. Ballard would take over in Edmonton and run the Oilers or whatever the, the team would be there. I guess so Craig is wondering what would have happened if Harold Ballard and Peter Pocklington were allowed to trade franchises? Yeah, I mean, what what would have happened is that the NHL probably would have been a laughing stock uh, for for allowing that. But yeah, it would have been, for lack of a better term, the the Toronto Oilers and the Edmonton Maple Leafs. Uh, and I I think what would probably happen is, given the 
the quality of those two teams. Uh, there's there's lots of Stanley Cups in Toronto. Uh, probably a lot more money as a result in the coffers of Toronto and ultimately the league. And and I'm not completely convinced that Edmonton exists anymore as an NHL market. If uh, if they had had to spend the '80s watching that uh, the <laughs> lackluster collection of talent and having Harold Ballard run the team for them, I, I think that would have been uh, the the most lopsided trade in the history of hockey. In the history of sports, to get not only all those players off of Edmonton, I know Peter Pocklington isn't exactly on anyone's Mount Rushmore of great owners, but he's not Harold Ballard, and that would have been a uh, a real clear win for uh, for Toronto and a clear loss for Edmonton, and probably a loss for the league as well because everybody else would have been rolling their eyes at at them letting it happen. L- let me ask a follow up question to the one that Craig asked, and it's an, it's a what if question here. Okay, what if Wayne Gretzky never left Edmonton, Sean? What if Wayne Gretzky doesn't get traded? How many cups do you think the Edmonton Oilers win? Do they do they win more than five? Do we get to see a a Gretzky versus Lemieux Stanley Cup final in the early nineties? Edmonton versus Pittsburgh. Like if Wayne Gretzky never leaves Edmonton, what happens? Yeah, I mean, if if Wayne Gretzky never leaves Edmonton and and the finances of it line up because they, they. the obvious answer, the, maybe the smart aleck answer, is that if Gretzky doesn't leave Edmonton, then everyone else has to. Messier, there's there's no room to pay anybody else, and it it just becomes Gretzky and a and a bunch of AAA guys. Uh, but if they could keep that group together, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they would have been the best team in the league in '89 for sure. That 1990 Oilers team did win the cup even without Gretzky, so so put him on there. I think they're a powerhouse right through at least the the 93 94 season and uh and and probably at that point you know who knows Mark Messier wanted out does he still want out if if it's Wayne Gretzky maybe he does maybe he says you know what I I, I want to go on and be the guy in New York rather than second fiddle in Edmonton but boy if they if they keep that team together they're they're cup favorites right through at least the mid nineties, I'd, I'd have to think. And then, then, yeah, you potentially get that Merrill Lemieux matchup, which would have been just all kinds of amazing. So we got a whole bunch, like I said, a whole bunch of what if questions and we'll just bounce around. Some of them will be kind of current day NHL. Some will be way back in the day. Uh, Ben sent us this one. Okay. And you you'll probably have to help me out. This is right up your alley. Ben says, what if Patrick Steffen actually scored into his empty net? If I remember correctly, that extra point uh, that Edmonton got in that game ended up giving Chicago the first overall pick. They took Patrick Kane. So uh, that's the infamous highlight where, uh, Sean, it's a Dallas-Edmonton game. And Patrick Steffen, there's eight seconds left on the clock. He's in on alone. He's going to put the puck in the empty net. Puck kind of rolls off his stick. He wipes out. Oilers take it back up the ice in five seconds. They score the tying goal. It's shocking. It's unbelievable. Um so what if what if Patrick Steffen buries that puck, Sean? What happens yeah. to the to the hockey universe? I mean, first of all, his he's probably a much happier guy and doesn't have to watch that highlight and and the rest of us lose an all timer. I mean, that's that, that's one of the few hockey highlights from from the Cap era that you could show to someone who didn't even watch hockey and they would get it and they would laugh <laughs> and they would think it was it was phenomenal. What a lot of people everybody remembers it. Everybody can can picture the puck bouncing over his stick and Stefan wiping out. And I think it was it was Ray Ferraro, right? Who just went in yeah. on him about like just yeah. absolutely tore tore him apart. 
what a lot of people don't remember about that game is Dallas ended up winning the game. They they won. I don't remember if it was overtime or I think it might have been a shootout, but but they won. So in terms of the Dallas Stars, it ultimately was kind of a funny thing that didn't didn't cost them any any points in the bank. But what it did do is it gave the Oilers a loser point that they they weren't going to get had they lost in regulation. And what's interesting about that is if you look at the 2007 standings, because it was from the 2006-07 season, and you take one point away from the Edmonton Oilers, and then you shift them in the standings, they shift into the, I want to say, 26th overall spot that's owned by the Chicago Blackhawks. And that spot, of course, ends up being the one that wins the lottery in 2007. And the Blackhawks move up from the fifth pick all the way to first. They bump the Flyers out of the the top pick. And that's the Patrick Kane draft. That's the year the Chicago drafts Patrick Kane. Philadelphia has to settle on James Van Riemsdyk. Uh, I, I, Edmonton, I want to say, takes like Sam Gagne. Like they got an okay player. And there were, there were some decent players the rest of the way. Voracek was in that draft and a few other guys. But nobody at the level of Patrick Kane. You take that Patrick Stefan flub away. You put Edmonton in that spot and the ping pong balls bounce the same way that they did with, with the, you know, it's coded numbers and they're assigned based on standings. The Edmonton Oilers win the draft lottery in 2007, which means the Edmonton Oilers almost certainly draft Patrick Kane. The Blackhawks don't get him, which means the Blackhawks maybe, probably don't win at least some of those Stanley Cups, maybe any of them. Edmonton maybe becomes better. Maybe the decade of darkness gets gets snuffed out early, but maybe that yeah. means they don't get Connor McDavid. Maybe someone else. It's just the the ripple effect of that one play, potentially, if, if you can assume that the lottery would have bounced exactly the same way, uh, is is just league changing in uh, in many ways. It's it's one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite what ifs. You know, speaking of what ifs here, we got, we got another one here on a singular play. Somebody sent us this and said, what if the referees didn't miss the egregious Matt Duchesne offside call? What would happen? So what if, hey, what if they just blew it down like, hey, Matt Duchesne, you're offside? What Mm -hmm. happens? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I I have to, as the the rule book guy, as the officials guy, I, I have to do the obligatory piece here where I point out that they didn't miss that play the way people think they missed it. Everybody's seen the highlight of Matt Duchesne being five feet, 10 feet offside and, and there's no whistle and people go, well, was the linesman blind? Did he not see the, it's not that they didn't think he was offside. They thought that the puck had been batted back into the zone by the defensive team. And if that happens, if the defensive team knocks the puck back into the zone, there's no offside anymore. You can be all over the line by 10 feet or 20 feet. It doesn't matter. And there, if you go and watch the beginning of the play, there is sort of a weird thing where the puck's bouncing around and two guys are swinging at it. So they still blew the call. It, it, it wasn't offside, but they, it wasn't the obvious, oh my gosh, what are they thinking uh, offside that, that people think it is. So now that I'm done defending the linesman, kind of, um, I've said before, man, if I have a time machine, this is the play I'm going to go back and fix. Because what happens is we don't have this stupid offside review uh, that keeps taking goals off the board because of a fraction of an inch this awful, dumb rule that no reasonable person likes uh, probably doesn't exist. Now, there were other plays, other missed offsides. There was one in a Tampa-Montreal playoff game that that did lead to the offside review. 
But this was the one. This was the thing that crystallized it in everyone's mind. This was the play that people went, we have to be able to get this one right. And surely the next time this play happens, we need a system in place. Well, it hasn't happened again. We haven't had like a single obvious offside that's been caught by replay in all the years since. Instead, we're, we just have all these stupid little, oh, this guy's pinky toenail was over the line, so we're going to take a goal back that happened 30 seconds later. Uh, the answer to the question is we would all be much, much happier as fans because one of the dumbest things that the NHL does hopefully wouldn't exist uh, in a world where Matt Duchesne hadn't ruined everything for us. Okay, so that's the play you're getting into a time machine. You're getting in your DeLorean 88 miles that's an hour. That's it. Other people back. would stop wars or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm out there. Yeah, I'm going back to the linesman being like, just would you please keep an eye on Matt Duchesne, please? Yeah, well, I, I think Buffalo fans, we know where they're going. Sean, they're going oh, to the 1999 yeah. Stanley Cup final. Mike has sent us this note and says, here's a what-if question for you guys. What if Brett Hall's uh, skate being in the crease was actually called? What happens then? So, again, just to set the scene or to remind people, that was game six oh, uh, triple overtime. Uh, Brett Hall scores the goal. Dallas wins the cup. But if they disallow that goal, it's still a tie hockey game. It's game six, so Buffalo's playing for their hockey lives. They would have to win that game and then theoretically go down to Dallas and win a game seven. Do they pull it off, or do you think, nah, you know what? Uh, maybe if they called it off, it's still just delaying the yeah. um, inevitable that it the is, Dallas it wins. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough one. It's, uh, it's one where you know there, there is a, a twisted part of me that kind of feels like, look, if, if that goal gets waved off, Dallas is still the clear favorite because they've still got a chance to win in overtime. And even if they don't, they still go back game seven, which would be in Dallas. So there, there's a chance that the answer to this is Dallas still wins, but now at least because of this, Buffalo has something to hold on to. They've got something to complain about, something to point to and say we were robbed instead of just saying we got beat. But maybe not. Maybe Buffalo does come and win it. And clearly, you know, you, you take, Franchise like Buffalo, no Stanley Cups in in fifty plus years. You you give them that one, and it changes everything. It changes the whole outlook, the whole attitude of the the franchise, and and certainly a fan base that is one of the longest suffering in the league gets gets something to hang on to. I, I know every Sabres fan would gladly take their shot. You know, let's let's go, let's go back and just see how it plays out. Um, uh, the other piece of it that's interesting is if they call that correctly, and the league to this day, insist that they did call it correctly. But if they do a review and, uh, and and everything plays out, I wonder if we get rid of that skate in the crease rule the way they did. Because that was the the other impact of that. The fact that that played out the way it did and, and people were so upset, they immediately got rid of the terrible, awful, indefensible skate in the crease rule that we all hated. I wonder if the NHL would have been stubborn and hung on to that for at least a while longer if... Uh, um, if that hadn't played out, maybe, maybe that was the sacrifice that the Sabres made for all of us to get rid of, uh, again, one of the other very worst rules in modern hockey history. Hey, let, let's stick with Buffalo for a second here. Skinny Pete has written into the show and Skinny Pete says, what if Buffalo won the Connor McDavid lottery? Like who's better off now, Edmonton or Buffalo? Like, I guess let, another way to ask this is what, if, okay, so what if Buffalo had McDavid? Is it still a hot mess in that city? Well, I mean, it's impossible to say no. Um, you, you can't, 
It's <laughs> it certainly would have put them in a much much better situation. And and as much as I like Jack Eichel as a player, he's no Connor McDavid because because nobody in this league is. Um, but who's to say that Buffalo wouldn't have made a mess of it? You could argue that Edmonton's kind of made a mess of it. So uh, I think they're in a better situation, but uh, it's it's still it's still not a great one. Let me throw one at you because this is this, from that from that same draft, and this is one I've I've covered before. Uh, let me give you a what if from 2015, uh, and, and it's not actually a what if from 2015. It's a what if from 1997. What if Austin Matthews was born two days earlier? Oh. Austin Matthews was born September 17th, 1997. The cutoff for the draft is September 15th. So because of that, because of those two days, Austin Matthews goes in the 2016 draft. If he'd been born two days earlier, he would have been eligible for the 2015 draft. So now 2015, which is already this big tank fest because it's the McDavid-Eichel draft, it now becomes the McDavid-Eichel-Matthews draft. What happens now? How is that draft viewed? But also, how does that season play out? If you, we, I mean, we saw Arizona and Buffalo tanking like crazy. Arizona was tanking to get Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid. What does Arizona do if Austin Matthews is in that draft? How does that all play out? Are other teams tanking? Who takes who? McDavid still goes first, obviously. Does Austin Matthews wind up in Arizona? And if so, what does that do for that franchise? And then, oh, by the way, you know, let's say Edmonton still wins the lottery. Let's say it goes, let's say the draft goes McDavid to Edmonton, Eichel to Buffalo, Matthews goes to uh, Arizona. Guess who's got the fourth pick if everything plays out the same? Oh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. But instead of taking Mitch Marner, the best player on the board now is Dylan Strom. So they take Dylan Strom. And oh, by the way, next year when the Leafs finish dead last, Austin Matthews isn't in that draft. It's Patrick Liney. It's crazy to think about all the different ways that, but I mean, the tank fest, if it was those three guys, that would be the best draft in history as far as the top of the, there's never been three can't miss guys at the top of a draft that I can remember. How crazy would it have been the tanking for that year? I mean, would we have seen teams just shooting the puck into their own net just blatantly? It's unbelievable. Like literally, Austin Matthews is born 48 hours earlier. This is this is exactly the conversation. That especially yep. when you add that Leafs element that imagine they not only do they not get Matthews, but they they may not even have Marner. Like they, yep. they end up with no with Matthews, Strom, no Marner, or probably Han- Dylan Strom. Or who knows, right? Like it's who knows. Wow. That, okay. Another guy, by the way, by the way, is Alex Ovechkin's another September 17th. He's another guy that was two days off uh, from from changing his draft year. And that's another one you can look at and go, everything everything changes based on 48 hours. Wait, are you telling me that Ovechkin could have been in the 2003 draft? Yeah. That, that was that he nutty would have draft that, that is often considered the best already? He would have been in that, and not only that, they and who was it? Was it the Florida? Somebody tried to draft Ovechkin in that year. Yeah, it was, it was Florida. Somebody right? tried yeah. to do the Pavel because remember Pavel Bure. The reason that yep. he got on the Vancouver Canucks as a late pick was because other teams didn't know he was eligible. And was it? Oh, okay. You got to help me. Tell me, I'm imagining this. Did the Panthers try to claim that if you used leap years? that Alexander Ovechkin was technically old enough to be drafted. Like, I feel like they went in like the sixth round and tried to make that case. 
that they it yeah, was yeah, based yeah, on exact, leap that, years. Hundred percent. They, they were like, I think Dude. whatever it is, you're right. It there was a leap year element where mm-hmm. and it was Rick. Basically, was if you took Rick away Dudley? the leap years, he was already eighteen. It was it, it was Rick Dudley. It might have been, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think it was Rick Dudley. It's an all-time great shoot-your-shot moment. Like, can you blame them for trying? Knowing what we know now, yeah, you got to take your swing, but it's one I of the th- most ridiculous things anyone's ever tried. You, you, you know what I think it was? I think, and I think it was Rick Dudley, okay? I think that their argument was, if you, if you don't consider leap years, okay? So... Ovechkin would have lived through, I think it was four leap years. Yeah. They're like, well, then he would have been 18 four days earlier and that's yeah. eligible. Like, yeah, I th- Alexander Ovechkin had already had 18 365 day cycles. Like that was it. And then so as long as you took the leap years. Yeah. I I mean. Yeah, I, I just want to see, like, did Rick Dudley have like some sort of like lunar chart or something? He'd be like, as you can see yeah. here, uh, Alex Ovechkin is actually 18 years old. Like it, you, I can't blame him. I can't blame him for trying, man. That, yeah, shoot it, your shot. You, you got a one in a thousand shot. It's worth it because, oh boy, that would have been, uh, yeah, put him on the Panthers and that changes everything. Yeah. Listen, speaking of the 2015 draft, Steph has written into the podcast. Steph wants to know, hey guys, here's a what if question for you. What if the Boston Bruins, instead of drafting Jacob Zaboral, Jake DeBrusque, and Zach Sanishin, in the 2015 draft, back to back to back, they drafted Matt Barzell, Kyle Connor, and Brock Besser. So again, Boston had three picks back to back to back in 2015, uh, Sean, and opted for Jacob Zaboral, Jacob DeBrusque, Zach Sanishin. Now, Jake DeBrusque has turned into a nice player and, uh, you know, is probably is, is, is not an issue there. The other two guys, Zuborl and Sanishin, they swung and they missed, and they passed on Matt Barzell, they passed on Kyle Connor, they passed on Brock Besser, they passed on Thomas Shabbat, they passed on mm-hmm. some really good players. What if, Sean, what if the Bruins uh, got Barzell and Connor yep. and Besser or Shabbat? And it's, I mean, that that's the, the other piece of this is it's not like those were just the next three guys on everyone's boards and they just took the consensus picks that does happen sometimes where you look back and you go, you know, what if the senators had taken Dig instead of Pro- or t- Pronger instead of Dig? Well, everybody had Dig ahead of Pronger, so you can't really blame them. They went off the board on said like the sentient pick. Yeah. People were people were scrambling and through papers going, who is who who is this guy? And there's that infamous tweet right where somebody yeah. uh, as Boston's getting ready, they've got three picks in a row, 13, 14, and 15, and somebody tweeted out like, "Oh my goodness, the Bruins might be about to get." I think it's Barzell Connor, and I don't think it's Shabbat. I think it's somebody else, like a uh, Killington or somebody like that. But it's this, you know, at in the moment they're like they're going to get some great prospects, and they they just really didn't. I, I I mean, the Bruins have got at least one more cup now with those guys, right? I mean, do we at least 2019? I know. Anytime in the cap era that you add a great player to a team, you always have to say, well, but then the the salary cap would have done this or that. But uh, I mean, they would have been just phenomenal. You put Kyle Connor, Matthew Barzell, and whoever, whoever you want to throw in is, is the third guy. Um, but yeah, the next three guys after 16, 17, and 18, Barzell, Connor, Shabbat, put those guys on Boston. There's There's got to be at least one more Stanley Cup in Boston. You have to think. <sighs> Yeah, at least one. And like, like imagine, and you would have had Barzell like on an entry level deal. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like, you're right. The, the cap implications would have I mean, been minimal. Changes the results of the playoffs this year for sure with, with yeah. Barzell, you know, scoring big goals against Boston. I mean, geez, it's just that one. It is a credit to Don Sweeney, how good a job he has done at almost everything else. Yep. That he is still a GM in good standing, considered one of the better ones when he, that has got to be one of the, that, that, that's got to be the worst 20 minutes any team has ever had on the draft floor. Yeah. I, that's, that's, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of, of anything worse. Hey, we'll stick with the Bruins on this one. We'll go back a little bit further in history. Jeff has written into the show and says, here's a what if question. What if the Boston Bruins, uh, Bruins hadn't traded Ken Dryden to Montreal back in the day? Which is something that not a lot of fans realize, right, Sean? That yep. Ken Dryden was technically a member of the Boston Bruins, but then opted for the uh, the, the college route and ended up with the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, it, it, that that's a real tough one because they drafted him in '64, uh, and he didn't play in the NHL until 1970, and that was the year that he he won the cup, won the Conn Smythe uh, as a rookie. He 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 hadn't even he had barely even played in the regular season. His full official rookie season in the NHL was until 71-72. So that's a long time, uh, seven years plus after his draft. That could have gone in any number of directions. And Ken Dryden's an interesting guy. Like he, you know, maybe he develops the same way. Maybe he becomes the same goalie in Boston. Maybe he bumps Jerry Cheevers out, but maybe not. Uh, Maybe he ends up sitting and, and with Ken Dryden, if they had said, no, you got to wait in the minors or you got to sit and be the backup, who knows what he would have done. He might have said, I'm going back to law school. And, you know, he did that in his holdout against the Canadians. He had other interests. So it, that could have been fascinating how he would have got along with Harry Sinden. You know, it's it's obviously very tempting to say, what if it's Phil Esposito, Bobby Orr, and Ken Dryden? How many cups did the Bruins win for, for the next few years? And if it's Ken Dryden as good as he was in Montreal, it's probably a few but there's just no way to know how that could have could have worked out because this this isn't a case where a team could have drafted a guy and you put him in the lineup right away. It was a long a long wait for Ken Dryden to get there, and uh, who knows who knows how that would have gone. You know the the biggest what if question though when you're talking about a Montreal goalie's got to be this one. Josh Perot has sent us a note and uh, asks us, "Hey guys, what if Mario Tremblay decided to pull Patrick Waugh earlier in that infamous Detroit Montreal game?" Does that mean Colorado doesn't win any Stanley Cups? And does it mean maybe Montreal can win a Stanley Cup or two down the road? So that's a great one from Josh. That is one of the great what-if questions. What if Mario Tremblay had taken Patrick Waugh out of that game? Uh, does Patrick Waugh finish his career in Montreal? Or was that just, you know, maybe what we saw that night was there was a nine or ten things and that just happened. It was going to boil yeah. over anyway, right? I maybe. feel like with Patrick, it was going to boil over at some point. I, I think the question of does he finish his career in Montreal, no. I, I, I it, it was, even if they had been able to settle that, something else was going to come up down the line. But yeah, it probably doesn't get traded to Colorado, which means Colorado probably doesn't win the cup, certainly that year. And and maybe they don't they don't win the second one either. Uh, I think that's that's one that you could look at. And and yeah, what if he gets pulled earlier? I'll, I'll go you one better. What if Patrick Waugh doesn't go out to breakfast that morning? Because you know this story, right? Who he ran into at breakfast the morning of that game. He walks into his, you know, his favorite diner or whatever. He's going to go get his pregame breakfast. And who's sitting there but Mike Vernon, the goalie for the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. And he goes over and sits and they have a chat. 
And apparently, according to the story, and this is a story from Mike Vernon, he's told the story. Patrick starts venting to him. Oh, I, you know, I'm under so much pressure. I'm not appreciated here. I don't, you know, I don't know. And Vernon tells him, he says, you know what? I felt the same way in Calgary. Ever since I came to Detroit, I'm like a new guy. <laughs> he says, if you ever get a chance, and you're offered the opportunity, don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to go somewhere else because I, I'm I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to go play for a new team. And Patrick says, okay, good chat. Thanks a lot. And Mike Vernon has said that night he sees Patrick Waugh doing the, you know, putting his arms up and he sees him go over and talk to the owner and he's thinking, oh no, because <laughs> he knew yeah. everybody was like, what would, what did Patrick say? Who could, and Vernon said he was the only, he said he got dressed quick that night and got out onto the bus because he didn't want anyone to talk to him because he was the only guy who knew what Patrick Waugh was probably saying. And he was thinking like, oh my God, Patrick, I didn't mean tonight. I meant at some point. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, and it's so funny that, you know, that, that it's Vernon who ends up being the guy who indirectly sends Watt to Colorado. Of course, you know, they cross paths in the Red Wings avalanche rivalry a year later. But uh, yeah, if you're, if you're an abs fan and you hate Mike Vernon because of the goalie fight, you don't, because he might be the only reason that Patrick Watt was in Colorado in the first place. Yeah. And, and you wonder if you're Detroit, and and that was the year the Red Wings ended up with a you know record setting regular season, but if they had known that the series of events that oh, night yeah. would directly lead to Patrick Waugh going to Colorado, which would then ultimately knock down, them man. out of the playoffs, would they have maybe just held up a little bit? They'd Absolutely, take, take, that's take your, our foot off the gas. At, that's at your time machine moment. If you're a Red yeah. Wings fan, right? You go back there, you go first intermission, like, hey boys, what is it for nothing? Shut it down. You're good. Trust me, I can't tell you why, but you do not want to go any. Just let's just let the third and fourth line guys have some time, and uh, yeah, that is that is absolutely you. You take your foot off the gas big time. Hey, we'll we'll stick with the uh, the Avalanche theme here. Well, kind of the Avalanche, well, their predecessors, the Quebec Nordiques. On this next one, comes in from Andre Bergeron, who asks us this uh, following "What If" question. Hey guys, what if the Quebec Nordiques took the New York Rangers deal? For Eric Lindros, do you think the Rangers end up winning the Cup in 1994? Do you think the Avalanche go on to win Stanley Cups? And again, so I believe the deal was something along the lines, uh, Sean, of Alexei Kovalev, Tony Amante, one of Richter Van Beesbrook, um, first-round picks, $20 million in cash. If the Quebec Nordiques end up taking the Rangers deal or that arbitrator rules in favor of the Rangers... How does hockey history get altered in the early '90s with both Quebec and the New York Rangers? Yeah, it's it. That's a great question, and uh, you know, look, I I think in hindsight that that Lindros deal worked out about as well as it could have for for Quebec, at least as a franchise. Getting uh, getting Forsberg, uh, they they turned around fairly quickly. Uh, you you do that different, and uh, and and it's the Rangers instead. The, the offer was basically, it's been reported in a few different ways, but it's basically everyone other than Leach and Messier. <laughs> so, you know, everyone from that 94 team. Um, yeah, Lindros goes and, and starts his career as a second line center behind Mark Messier. Uh, do the Rangers win the cup? I mean, Lindros was a hell of a player. Eric Lindros, and people don't remember how good this guy was, even, even as a 19 year old before the injuries. 
Uh, could they have won with him? Yeah, maybe. But all those death pieces, you know, if, if they don't have Mike Richter especially, it's hard to imagine them winning that cup. Um, and then who knows where the Eric Lindros career goes? Uh, you know, does he still get hurt? Does he have the feuds with management that he had with Bobby Clark? Where do the Flyers go? Who do the Flyers go and get as their, uh, um, you know, as their guy? Uh, there, there's a lot of different ways that that could, that could change history. And it's, uh, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to, to try to figure out. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, Eric Lindros has the injury issues and that's one of the big what if questions. People will say, what if Eric Lindros stayed healthy? I'm going to throw out a handful of names to you of players whose careers got cut short due to injury or just, you know, and I'm going to ask you, which of these guys would you say, like, what if they didn't get injured? Who's the guy you wish, you know what? I wish that guy got to play his whole career injury free so I could have seen what the peak is. Okay, so, you know, Eric Lindros, Cam Neely, Mario Lemieux, Mike Bossy, Bobby Orr. They're all Hall of Famers, but they all had their career, the peak of it maybe kind of watered down or, or impacted by an injury. Who's the guy out of that list if I said Orr, Bossy, Lindros, Lemieux, and Neely that you would be like, yeah, I wish we just saw that guy the whole time, never impacted by injury. I wonder what he could have done. Yeah, it's I, I feel like with with Neely and maybe Bossy, you could you could say that we did see at least their best. We didn't get to see it as long as we would have liked, but we got to see their best. It, maybe even Mario and, and Bobby Orr, you could say that. Lindros is the one guy out of that group where I feel like we never saw his very best season. We never saw his alpha season where it all came together um, because it, it just, the injuries were starting to pile up by the time. And he still won an MVP and, you know, he was a, he was a dominant player, but I feel like we never got to see him hit the height even for a season that, that he could have. Um, but out of that group, and I, I'm a little, I'm a little too young for, for Bobby or Mario's the guy that if, if I can wave a magic wand and just take injuries away and, and, you know, we're not talking about obviously anyone life altering injuries or anything like that, but, if I could just make a player healthy his whole career, it's Mario because he could do unbelievable things. Even when he had the bad back and the chemo treatments and everything like that, you you give me Mario Lemieux full health. I don't think we're talking about Wayne Gretzky's scoring records. I think we're talking about Mario's scoring records. He was that good. Man, I see for me, I think it's Bobby Orr only because his last full season in the NHL was as a 26 year old and he scored 46 goals had 130 points, won the Hart Trophy, won the Art Ross Trophy, and then that, he played like 20 games after yeah. that. Like, and, and you know what? The, the thing that kills you about Bobby Orr is you don't even, with him, it's not even, oh, if he had been healthy. It's just, if he had had today's technology, if he had had decent doctors, you know, who could have, they, they could have fixed his knees up. Like, he, he didn't have some, you know, he just had bad knees. And today... You, you can do things with those. And back then they, they couldn't and they, they didn't catch it in time. And, oh boy, it's, it's, it, it would be, you know, it's, it always catches me off guard. Anytime I'm looking at all time lists, how far down Bobby Orr is on like the defenseman scoring list. You're, you're just like, oh, he's not, it's because he barely, he barely played. We got a few peak years from him and then, and then that was it. So you're right that give him a full career. I know somebody else said, you know, what if he had played with Ray Bork in the late seventies like that? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that pairing. It would have been, it, it, I, I tell you, it would have given, 
that that late 70s Habs dynasty starts looking a lot different if they've got to go through Bobby Orr at, at the height of his powers every year. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great point. And again, that think of that Don Cherry, too many men on the ice. If Bobby Orr is still healthy, he's like 29 years old or 30 years old. Like he's still yep. probably enough of a difference maker to swing that series, right? And and the Habs mm-hmm. beat the Bruins in the Cup a couple of times. Like he, absolutely, I think it's a you know, it's one of those great, uh, great what if questions, but boy, there's, there's so many players whose careers were impacted, uh, by injury. So a couple of other ones here to, to wrap up the show. Um, now the, on draft day in 1999, Brian Burke did some finagling to get the number two and number three picks so that they could uh, take, uh, Daniel and Hendrick Sedin in Vancouver. I'm wondering, Sean, what if, what if the Sedins were drafted by different teams? Are they as successful do they ultimately end up together? Like, what happens there? Like, what if the Sedins were drafted by two different teams? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting question. It, it certainly, I mean, it, the Sedin experience would not have been the same. Let, let's put it that way. And and I think that uh, they they could have. I mean, they did struggle somewhat in the NHL to start with. People sometimes forget that the the Sedins were not the Sedins for the first two or three or four years of their career in, in Vancouver. Uh, maybe that continues. Maybe it's even more pronounced if they're apart. Maybe teams run out of patience quicker than, than they did in Vancouver. Uh, I think almost inevitably they would have wound up playing together somewhere at some point because every brother act in the NHL has to wind up on the same team at some point. But you know where would it have been, and and what would that deal have looked like? It's it's an interesting one. It, let me give you my. This might be my all time favorite. What if though? And I, and I've I've written this before, but I want your your opinion on this because you mentioned the Brian Burke. I think what was your word? Finagling. Finagling. That's a good, yeah. that's a good yeah. word. That's a good word. Um, Burke makes all these moves. He comes into the draft. He's got the third overall pick. He wants both Sedins. So he starts wheeling and dealing. He trades. He gets the fourth pick. Now he's got three and four, but that's not necessarily enough. So he flips the four for the one. Now he's got one and three. He Now he feels pretty good that he's going to get the Sedins, but it's not enough because it's Brian Burke, right? He's a, he's a marketer. He doesn't want to pick a Sedin yeah. and then wait a pick. He wants to take them both at the same time. Remember, we all remember him getting up going, basically, we take the Sedins and he tries to do it both with the same pick. So he wants two and three. So he calls up Don Waddell of the Atlanta Thrashers, and he says, who, who has the second pick, and he says, do you want to flip up to number one? Who are you? Who do you guys want? Don Waddell says, we want Patrick Stefan. Here comes Patrick Stefan again in one of these. Yeah. Uh, Burke says, okay, I'll give you the number one so that you can, you can take them first overall. Atlanta's a new team, expansion team. Let's give them a big moment with the first overall pick. Burke's going to get number two. He gets the to take both the Sedins at the same time. And he, he, he gets like a late round pick. It wasn't, it wasn't a big price to trade up, but he, he makes this deal. Brian Burke says to Don Waddell, the one thing is you've got to give me your word that you're taking Patrick Stefan. You're not going to take anyone else. And you're not going to trade the pick to anyone else. Cause I'm doing all this so that I get the Sedins second and third. Give me your word on that. Don Waddell says, yeah, you have my word. And of course that's exactly how it plays out. Here's my, what if, what if Don Waddell, screws Brian Burke. What if Don Waddell gets up there and says with the first overall pick, the Atlanta Thrashers take Daniel Sedin? What happens from that moment on? Barn fight. 
I'm telling you, he fights him, right? Yeah. Brian Burke 100%. absolutely fights 100%. Don Waddell on the draft floor. Like, I, I'm I'm serious. Brian Burke hears that. He gets up. He takes off his suit jacket, undoes his tie, which is probably already undone, rolls up his <laughs> sleeves, and he goes to fight Don Waddell. Like, right, not behind the scenes, on the draft floor. And then my question is, what does Don Waddell do? Like, is does he... Does he pull an Earl Hebner? Does he have the getaway car waiting and he just makes a break for the exit? Or like Don Waddell played minor league hockey. Maybe he's ready to go. Maybe he knows exactly what's, you know, maybe it's go time for him. I think there's absolutely like Brian Burke was going to fight a guy in a barn over an offer sheet to a player who wasn't even very good. Yeah. There's no question in my mind. Brian Burke fights Don Waddell on the draft floor on live television. Okay. What would you rather watch though? Brian Burke fighting Don Waddell live on the draft floor or Brian Burke and Kevin Lowe renting the barn and it's like a pay-per-view event and they yeah. and they throw it out in the barn. I think, honestly, I, I think it's the draft floor one because you wouldn't have been, like, because I need a camera on Gary Bettman when he realizes what's happening and he realizes two of his GMs are going to, he was mad about the barn fight qu- quote getting out years <laughs> later. Yeah. Imagine when he sees like, you know, he sees Burke get up and start taking the and Don Waddell's like giving him the, yeah, you want to go? Let's go. Uh, I I think absolutely. You, I, that's, that's my one what if. I want to see Don Waddell get up there. I want him to make eye contact with Brian Burke the whole way, you know, while he says the words from Modo <laughs> and then Burke. I want cameras on Burke from three different angles to get his facial expression as he reacts. And I want to see the whole thing play out. Oh man! Well, listen, that maybe next summer too, when we're we're, we're doing these shows, we'll do the uh, the fantasy fights or the, the the battles we'd like to see one on one. Brian Burke would be like in forty percent of them, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. That <laughs> that seems low. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, we'll leave it there. And again, I hope uh, listeners had fun with us here in the month of August. Uh, you know, just doing some different things. And hey, listen, if you got any thoughts on the the, the what if questions we tossed out today, or you have mm-hmm. some other what if questions, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email, uh, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail too, 845-445-8459. And if you're not a subscriber uh, with us at The Athletic, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show to save on an annual subscription.